in this week's market update. The Fed and the Bank of England get to grip with the two-way pull of slowing growth but rising inflation. The oil price falls back on hopes for ceasefire talks and China battles to contain a new Covid outbreak. Well, all the stories which have dominated markets over the past couple of years are in focus again this week. From an investment perspective, the most important is probably the dilemma facing the Federal Reserve as it battles to contain rising inflation without tipping the US into recession. The Fed is expected to raise interest rates for the first time since 2018 on Wednesday evening, UK time. It has little choice but to act with inflation running at its hottest in 40 years. But it needs to tread carefully because of the countervailing pressures of war in Ukraine and the depressing impact of rising energy costs and economic sanctions on Russia. This week's interest rate decision is the Fed's toughest in a long while. Although the US central bank had to move decisively in the early days of the pandemic, it was at least clear what action it needed to take. A case of how far and how fast to cut, not whether or not it should do so. Its job was made easier because inflation two years ago was below target. Today, it's battling with the highest rate of price increases since the early 1980s. Inflation is already above 7% in America and likely to rise above 8% in March. The year-end forecast for core inflation is also bound to rise. In December, the last time this was revised, most officials expected inflation of just 2.7% for 2022, falling to 2.3% next year. That now looks way off the mark. Unfortunately, that inflation is not the result of a booming economy, but rising commodity and food prices. At the same time as the inflation forecast is pushed higher, growth estimates are predicted to fall from 4% to 3.3%. That's the backdrop to a new dot plot forecast for the direction of interest rates. In December, just three rate hikes were penciled in for this year. Now it looks like there could be five in 2022 and another four next year. But falling growth could make even that look too ambitious. At recent testimony to Congress, Jay Powell, head of the Federal Reserve, warned that the Fed may need to raise rates above the so-called neutral rate at which monetary policy neither stimulates nor constrains economic activity. That's raised expectations that the Fed may also resort to a faster rate of hikes than usual, including a possible half percentage point hike this week. Events in Ukraine probably make that unlikely, but the reality is that no one knows. The Fed is not the only central bank agonising over what to do with interest rates. The Bank of England also has to decide this week, on Thursday, how to respond to rising inflation. The bank, of course, has already made its first moves. A rate hike this week would be the third in the current cycle, taking interest rates to 0.75% from the low point of just 0.1% during the pandemic. Here in the UK, inflation is not as high as in the US, but at 5.5% in January, it's still uncomfortably above the bank's 2% target. A reasonable challenge to the bank is the fact that raising rates will have little impact on inflation caused by surging energy costs. In fact, raising the cost of borrowing will only make the cost of living crisis more intense for people already battling with sky-high household gas bills and record petrol prices. But the bank is probably more concerned with rising inflation. 
and it won't feel like it's out on a limb with the Fed starting to tighten its policy and even the European Central Bank indicating last week that it will reduce the scale of its asset purchases more quickly than previously expected. Looking forward, how far interest rates rise will probably be determined by the extent to which rising food and energy costs start to feed through into wage demands. Although there have been many comparisons drawn with the inflationary 1970s, a key difference between then and now is less bargaining power on the part of workers. Were that to change, then things might start to look worryingly like the earlier period. Although the UK workforce is significantly less unionised than in the 1970s, it still has some leverage. In the late 1970s, around half of workers were in unions. Today, it's more like 25%. But, especially in the public sector, unions like Unison carry some clout and they're likely to be unimpressed by pay growth of only around 3% when inflation is at least twice as high. Non-unionised workers could also become more confident if they realise that a very tight labour market is on their side. Vacancies are at record highs. It's worth remembering that in the 1960s, inflation looked just as benign as it did until recently. That led to complacent policy making then, and history may repeat itself. Another interesting comparison with the 1970s is the way in which investors are starting to head towards gold as a safe haven and a hedge against rising prices. Gold last week edged towards its all-time high level of $2,072.50, struck in August 2020. Goldman Sachs has put a forecast of 2500 on the precious metal. The rise in the gold price has been fuelled by heavy buying by exchange-traded fund managers. Gold-backed ETFs have seen a big increase in demand so far in March, with more than $6 billion invested in funds, bringing the total to $11 billion for the year to date. Another source of demand for gold may be central bank buying, especially since the Kremlin has been blocked from accessing foreign currency reserves. Moscow is now expected to buy all of Russia's gold output this year, and other central banks may reassess the place that an asset with inflation-proof characteristics should hold in their portfolios. The oil price is also in focus this week, with the key driver being expectations about how serious Russia is about ceasefire talks. Having peaked at nearly $140 a barrel on news that the US was planning to ban oil imports from Russia, the price of Brent crude has tumbled in recent days and stands currently at around $107, as hopes have risen that Moscow may be willing to engage in more substantive negotiations over Ukraine. Its willingness to do that will clearly be affected by the role that China chooses to play in the conflict after speculation over the weekend that Russia had asked it to provide economic and military assistance. In the markets which affect most investors, shares and bonds, a key focus is on how rising inflation is keeping real inflation-adjusted interest rates firmly in negative territory. What this means is that unless inflation expectations start to fall from here, interest rates may have to end up at a higher level than investors had expected, and that in turn will impact the valuations of both bonds and shares. The pullback in equity valuations has been underway for a year or so now, falling from around 23 times expected earnings to just over 18. As bond yields rise, the arithmetic of valuing shares suggests that fair value might be a little lower still. 
a couple of points reduction in the price earnings ratio of the S&P 500 index equates to a 400 point decline from here to roughly 3,800. That would be about 20% below the recent peak and just about qualify as a bear market. That seems plausible, not least because it still requires corporate earnings to continue rising at the expected 8 or 9%. There's no reason to think that won't happen, but rising energy costs and lower demand from more cash-strapped consumers will obviously make it harder for companies to deliver. Harder hit on the earnings front currently looks like being emerging markets, where expected earnings growth is falling off a cliff. This has not been lost on emerging market investors who've watched as shares in the developing world have been in decline for over a year now. Recently, however, the rate of decline in emerging market share prices has accelerated. One factor which we no longer seem to be remotely concerned about here in the West is COVID. In China, however, this is still the number one concern, with the major city of Shenzhen near Hong Kong now under lockdown on the back of the biggest outbreak in new cases since COVID first emerged in Wuhan two years ago. China has adopted a zero-tolerance approach to COVID, unlike much of the rest of the world, which has learned to live with the disease and through a combination of infections and vaccinations has moved towards herd immunity. In Changchun, a city of 9 million people that entered lockdown on Friday, residents have been banned from leaving their homes, with only one person per household permitted to go grocery shopping every other day. It's a salutary reminder that while war dominates the headlines here, the pandemic has not gone away. Please be aware the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may not get back what you invest. This information does not constitute investment advice and should not be used as the basis for any investment decision, nor should it be treated as a recommendation for any investment. Investors should also note that the views expressed may longer be current and may have already been acted upon. Reference to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Fidelity Personal Investing does not give personal recommendations. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorised financial advisor. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. It is meant for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. Issued by Financial Administration Services Limited, authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority. Fidelity, Fidelity International, the Fidelity International logo and F symbol are trademarks of FIL Limited.